Hi, I'm Michael LaPointe, editor-in-chief of Paperless, and this is The Afterword. Today, I'm speaking with Alex Mayassi, author of The Way We're Built. His piece tells the story of a pivotal marketing campaign that changed the face of American advertising. In the late 1980s and early 90s, Subaru of America was faced with dismal sales and looking to target new demographics for its cars. That's when one marketing executive noticed that Subarus were overwhelmingly popular with one particular demographic, lesbian women. The problem? The corporate culture at Subaru was deeply conservative. The marketing executives were gay men who couldn't come out at work, so they took it upon themselves to make ads for lesbians that didn't overtly appear to be ads for lesbians a campaign that would test the viability of queer advertising and form a kind of referendum on the personal lives of the people behind it. Alex Mayassi is a writer, editor, and audio reporter. In 2017, he launched Gastro Obscura, the food and drink section of the travel publication Atlas Obscura, and served as its editor. In 2021, his team released the New York Times best-selling book Gastro Obscura, A Food Adventurer's Guide. He also contributes to NPR's Planet Money, as well as other publications. He joined me from his home outside Boulder, Colorado. Thanks for joining me, Alex. Um, I'm curious, just right off the top, like, how did you first come across the story of this campaign? In this case, I was just talking with a friend years ago, and he said to me, you know, I can't remember that much of the conversation, but said something like, you know, it's like that time that Subaru... Uh, did that ad campaign for lesbians. And, you know, I just kind of did the record scratch, like, wait, what? Can we go back to that? What do you mean? They're like, oh, yeah, you know, it's that that seems like something you might be interested in, like that you might want to write about. And so, you know, it, it went from there. And you just dove right into the research, started finding the characters, sort of um, exploring what made them tick back then? Yeah, exactly. And I first started researching and and first wrote about this campaign. I was probably back something like 2016. And it was an interesting moment because certainly this ad campaign got press in the 90s when it when it went live and as it grew. But I think when I learned about it, it had been this moment where an amount of time had gone by where it would be, it was something that had been, you know, forgotten by a lot of people or just hadn't been discussed in, in quite some time, but now kind of had this new, interesting, different resonance um, because of the amount of time that passed and because of the way that we could kind of now look back and see the full scope of it and the impact it had had and also compare it to changes that had happened, you know, in in American culture and business. The story begins with Subaru kind of at a, like this all-time low in America. What led to its decline in the first place that sort of set them up for this great comeback? I'd stress to start that like, before this campaign, Subaru was at a low, but it hadn't come down from some huge high. Like Subaru of America at that time had had always been a smaller competitor up against, you know, what had been uh, other other giants like Ford or when it came to, you know, a foreign uh, car company, a company like Toyota. So, so they'd always been kind of the smaller, newer competitor uh, when we're talking about the United States. Um, but certainly they 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 were struggling at, at this point where, you know, our episode here picks up in the early 90s. And there were a few factors. There had been some kind of larger trade disputes between the United States and Japan, right? Subaru is a, a Japanese company 
And there were these quote unquote voluntary restraints on the import of, of foreign cars or, or Japanese cars that impacted Subaru. Uh, they were not voluntary. They were very much uh, enforced. And so Subaru, you know, also faced some barriers to, to what they could actually import in the United States to how they could compete in the American market. That was, you know, pretty recent when uh, our story here picks up. But also I think it didn't have its really identity figured out yet. You know, it was really trying to fight these much larger, better established car companies in the American market and didn't have a really compelling story. And so they made these kind of like sturdy, reliable cars. But at that point, it was just kind of like, well, that's not a really exciting message. And so this campaign that targeted lesbian women, you know, some of its messaging, it was very much part of this larger push within Subaru to recognize you know, what are our advantages? What are our unique selling points? And a lot of that was around this decision to make only all-wheel drive cars so that Subaru was just synonymous with, with all-wheel drive and reliability and, and, and a rugged car that you could depend on. And that ended up being key to their, their marketing and their messaging in a number of ways, including specifically this campaign that was focused on uh, gay consumers, gay car owners. And beyond its success in reversing the fortunes of Subaru, what, what do you feel is the significance of this campaign more broadly? Yeah, it was interesting talking to John and Tim about their work. You know, they, they all stressed that at the time, especially as they first got started on this campaign, it was just another initiative, kind of like any other. They didn't see, um, they were just trying to do good work. They didn't you know, expect to be talking to journalists about it in uh, 2022, 2023. One of them joked that, you know, no one ever, you know, I spent a lot more time trying to, to sell cars to rugged individualists, which was kind of the, the customer archetype name they came up with for uh, people like, well, frankly, people like me, people who buy their Subarus because they, uh, they go hiking and camping and, and drive on dirt roads. So, you know, it, it wasn't something they, they noticed at the time. They were just focused on doing this campaign well. But then over time came to see more significance and get satisfaction from that. You know, I think Subaru helped show other companies that the risks they saw in acknowledging and celebrating their gay customers, um, you know, they feared boycotts, they feared letter writing campaigns. Um, I mean, there was even a case of a, a bomb threat being called in on a Kia store after one of their ads was perceived as having a, a gay couple in it. You know, that these fears, it's not that there were nothing to them. I mean, you can see even today there, there are cases of backlash against stores for, for having advertisements or merchandise that that celebrates um, or acknowledges gay customers, gay, gay people, gay culture. But I think Subaru really showed that, like, you know, the, the bark was worse than the bite in many cases. You know, Subaru did this campaign. They didn't shout about it from the rafters, but they also didn't hide it. It was something they stood behind and, you know, they faced pushback, but it was a successful campaign. It, it sold more cars. It helped power a really successful strategy that helped Subaru, you know, have this, have this turnaround and achieve growth and financial success. Um, and, you know, there was backlash, but of course there was also, you know, some celebration. Um, there were, there was recognition that this was a great campaign. And I think you can see, you know, that both led to a lot of, other companies starting to have 
you know, gay people in their ads in a way that just had very rarely happened before. And I think it also had huge effects, you know, a number of car companies, for example, after Subaru also starting to have uh, placing ads in, in gay magazines and publications, having ads that, that featured gay people, gay couples. And, you know, like Subaru, they realized that if they were going to do that, they needed to walk the walk. Like, like Subaru, they generally added um, domestic partnership benefits for their employees. So, you know, when you see the major car manufacturers add same-sex benefits and pay more attention to their gay employees and, and making sure that they're, they're respected, you know, certainly it wasn't suddenly a, a perfect utopia for every gay employee, but these were real policy changes and a change in focus. And, you know, that affected tens of thousands of employees and workers who worked at these companies. Um, so that's a really big deal too. And, and, you know, I think you can draw something of a line from this Subaru campaign that was definitely noticed among American corporations to the world we know today, where, you know, it's almost exhausting how many companies try to show support for gay pride events. I'm curious, like, what exactly did the lesbian demographics see in Subarus? Like, what spoke to them? Did anyone ever get to the bottom of this? Yeah, I mean, I think... Um, there's always this tension in advertising and marketing that every individual is different, but at the same time, what marketers and advertisers are trying to do is kind of draw these generalizations, kind of draw a general customer profile to represent lots of people. And so certainly, you know, I, I do think lots of lesbian customers, you know, they they felt an affinity with, with these Subaru cars that it fit their lifestyle. Um, there were certainly like lesbian women, especially who maybe had like a more butch lifestyle, um, that, that appreciated Subaru for the same reasons that, you know, all these rugged individualists like Subarus, they're, they're rugged cars. They can take dirt roads. They can take you camping. Um, you know, we saw that with some of Subaru's marketing messages that, you know, in this, in this lesbian campaign would talk about camping or, 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 you know, different aspects of kind of like that lifestyle, you know, the characteristics of Subaru cars that, that many people have found attractive. I think there was also an element, you know, one thing Subaru realized is that people were using some of their smaller cars, like the Crosstrek and the Outback, almost like they were SUVs, even though they're smaller cars and much more affordable than SUVs. Um, honestly, this is this. I have a Subaru Crosstrek myself, and this like fits me too, although I'm not uh, a lesbian customer of Subarus. But, you know, I think there's also this recognition that, you know, obviously it's the case that often women make m less money than men. And, you know, especially during this time, many gay people, men or women or of any gender face discrimination in the workplace as well because of their, because of their identity. And so I think there was also a way that Subaru had these cars that were both reliable, could almost be used like an SUV. You know, you could, you know, haul stuff around, have, you know, the kids' car seats in the back, um, but they weren't as expensive as an SUV. Um, I mean, I think there was also some thought that for some of these women, you know, they don't have a man in the house to fix their cars. So they need a reliable Subaru. You know, that that is something I, I saw a few times, certainly not in conversations with John or, or, or Tim for this story, but saw some old quotes. Um, I don't know that that's one that Subaru would, would like to throw out uh, today, but I think, you know, that was there too. I also don't love that uh, line of thought, although also find it kind of funny that that's probably part of the reason that I bought a Subaru is I don't know anything about fixing cars. I was like, originally thinking about buying a clunker. And then it's like, I can't buy a clunker. I don't know how to fix anything. I don't know anything about cars. 
So I need like a good solid Subaru that won't break down and that will be dependable. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know that that's the, the main reason, or if it is, if it's one, it's one that applies to me as, as much as anyone else in the world. I think there's also a fun way too that, you know, Subaru, if you've ever seen the front of a Subaru, their symbol is a constellation that I believe has seven stars. And, you know, there was kind of a specific reason why Japanese leadership and the Japanese founders chose that logo or symbol. But I think to many women, uh, lesbian women, when they kind of noticed them and many of their friends were driving Subarus, they kind of felt or noticed this association that it was like uh, the seven stars, like the seven sister colleges, the the all women's colleges uh, in the Northeast that certainly had, you know, a, a good contingent of lesbian women often found those to be places they like to attend college. So I think there was also this kind of like sense that that fit, even if that was not something that, you know, the founder or founders of Subaru ever intended. Well, thanks so much for uh, for joining me, Alex. It's a, it was a really great story, really strong stuff. And I'm excited that you managed to bring this uh, little known piece of uh, American advertising history to to the broader public attention. It's really cool. Yeah, thanks, Michael. It's a pleasure.